0: Okay, turn that on. So, 11, chapter 11 and verse 30. Let me read through that with you. Hebrews eleven thirty. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon. Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead raised to life again. Those were tortured, refused to be released, so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Think of the value that you have today as the church of Jesus Christ. The value, the unknown value, I hope you get a little taste of that value today. What you mean to God, what your value is. When we look at the heroes of the faith, the hall of faith, in chapter 11, we often think of so much power and and uh activity and beyond us sometimes but who are these heroes of the faith they're they're me and you really we think of people like Abraham and Moses and these great works but they were people just like us and there's really no distinction Elijah the great man that he was it says in James 5:17 that he was a man with like passions mm-hmm. as we have these passions and the word passions there really refers to weaknesses it, it's meaning infirmities and 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 failures and senses of uh, flesh and weakness. But what made Elijah different? That he lived by faith. And one especially important thing that James tells us that he prayed. And the a sign of your faith or an indicator of your faith today is your prayer life, mm-hmm. and vice versa too. When you pray, do you pray in faith? Or are you just praying to pray to because you do it? So you do it every day in the morning or in the evening or whatever. Elijah says he prayed prayers. It it doubles the term, prayed prayers. He was fervent, it says, in English, but he prayed prayers in faith. So think about your prayer life today. Think about that as relating to faith. So first we see the commonness of our faith, verses 30 through 35 and the beginning of verse 35. Commonness of our faith, how we're all like one another. No one's more special in God's eye. Yes, God does call us to different... uh, activities but we're all the same men and women we are the same there's no difference from old testament saints to the new testament saints and talk about that at the very end as you'll see um, after Joshua went around Jericho we go forward and, and the great faith that took the people you think about seven days going around and around and around being mocked and jeered maybe and walking around and then finally on that seventh day because of their faith the walls came down in the power of God and then we look at someone named Rahab the harlot, it says, who did not perish with those who were disobedient, and she was uh, uh, faithful. she was a believer. Some, according to the lineage in the scriptures, that if it's we're not sure exactly, I guess, from what we read it, all the lines, but she could have been the great-great-grandmother of David. Rahab the harlot is the great-great-grandmother of David. And Ruth is in his ancestry, yet Ruth is not mentioned in the Hall of Faith. But Rahab the harlot is. Isn't that interesting? Uh, Rahab had three strikes against her. First of all, in, we think of the Old Testament times. She was a woman. We know how uh, women were often treated in that time. Two, she was a Gentile, a Canaanite, a hated Canaanite. And three, she was an outcast. She was a prostitute. Some writers try to say that she was a hostess. Or she was an innkeeper. But God does not blush at sin. He doesn't get red-faced. and uh, He knows all about sin. And the beauty of that, us telling, the Scripture is telling us about Rahab being a prostitute, is that God has no problem, he has no impartiality, he has no respecter of people. No matter what our background is, and who is good among us, the Scripture says, who, who has sought after God? None. We seek our own way, the scriptures tell us. So even those who appear outwardly righteous, oftentimes, according to Jesus, they are just that, outwardly righteous. So Rahab had faith. And James 2.25 tells us she was commended for her act of obedience. And, And again, she was an ancestress of Jesus, Rahab was. She actually, Jesus was related to Rahab the harlot. In Matthew one five, you can read that. So she has a great lineage. We can say um, it, some traditions say she actually was an ancestress of eight priests or eight prophets. She's written of in the Tag Magila, which I don't. I had a hard time even finding out what that really is. It's an ancient writing. It's similar in part of, in the Talmud, uh, and she's listed in the Talmud. Of the the ancient Jewish writers talk about the four women. And some even go so far as to say, four overly beautiful women in the history of the world. The four most beautiful women in the history of the world. Now, I know that's a little stretch. But another writer, or the other interpretation says that they were four women of surpassing beauty in all of Israel, in the history of Israel. Guess who those four are? One is Rahab the Harlot. Go ahead. It took
1: a long time for me to get on that list.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and if they, there you are
0: no wait a minute that's scratched out sorry so this list if you want to hear the list Dana, of the four most beautiful women in the history of the world Rahab how
1: about Sarah Sarah Cleopatra in the Bible
0: Esther. Esther was Huh? Esther.
1: Esther. not Eve no. not Eve Who? Can you believe that?
0: Yes. One more. Leah, Gail. There's so many. I didn't make this list. Abigail, Sarah, Abigail, Esther, and Rahab are considered the foremost beautiful women in the history of the world up until this point, I guess. So don't ask me how how that list was made. The interesting thing we're getting at though is Rahab. The highlight. How Rahab, you wouldn't believe if you read history, and I know there's so much time uh, when you want to search it out today this afternoon, Rahab the harlot is held in high, high esteem in the history of Israel. High esteem. She's looked upon as one of the great women of the, of the faith, even though she was a Canaanite. It's amazing how Rahab is seen. Not as though we would often see her. She's mentioned several times in the scripture. She wanted to be identified with Israel She acted in faith. She took a chance on her whole family being destroyed. And yet she was spared uh, because of her obedience. So she is highly exalted for her faith. Amazing. And then it says here, we go on into the time uh, where he says, What shall I say? I I will fill me to mention Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. The six people here mentioned. The first four uh, are together in the time are only mentioned here in the New Testament, believe it or not. Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah are only mentioned here in the New Testament. Uh, David and uh, Samuel, of course, are also mentioned later as well in Scripture several times. But these six people are not in any chronological order, necessarily. It's not about getting it all perfectly, but uh, in the time of Judges, it's really referring to now we've left Moses' time and into Joshua and Rahab, and now we're into the time of the Judges, so to speak. And the first four, we have Gideon starts. But if you're not anything about Gideon, this is a great man of faith. He was called a mighty man of valor by God who saw him before he performed his acts of faith. But before that, he was scared. I, I look at myself as Gideon a lot. Not that I'm worthy of Gideon's name. What I mean is I seek signs from God constantly. I'm a doubter at heart sometimes. Or I don't want to do the wrong thing. So I'll ask God for signs like Gideon. Make the, de- make the dew wet and the grass dry ok now make the grass wet and the dew dry and, and please God help me and finally God shows him and then he goes out but he was a man uh, of faith even though it was a very weak faith to start with he, with 300 men he slew 135,000 troops but and yet at the end of Gideon's life tragedy really if you think about it yeah. right He took all those gold rings, and earrings and whatnot and made them into a golden ephod. And we don't know why he did this. I look it up myself. Some some think it was just a bad thing. He wanted to brag on himself and take it and, and to be a reminder this golden ephod the priest would wear. It was a relic like that, so to speak. Or did he do it to give God honor and glory? We don't know for sure. All we know is that this ephod became a snare to Gideon and his family. So that the sad part of Gideon's life is at the end, ends up almost un, not really undoing what he did, but ended up in not a perfect way. But again, a man of faith. In the hall of faith fame here. Strange, we would say, but not according to God. Uh, Barak, who is Barak? How is this man in the hall of faith? Does anybody know why?
2: Yeah, it's interesting that he would even, in a sense, be referred to him that way because he said to Deborah, look, I'm not going to go up and fight sister unless you go with me. And she said, okay, that's cool, but you're not going to get the glory a woman is. Amen. And so, I mean, that would have been unusual in that, you know, in that culture for that to happen. But Definitely. he did go, and he did rout sister Amen. it was a woman that ultimately killed him drove the tent peg through his temple
0: right another um, woman doing that to eat. so I mean this
2: in, in, in the narrative in the story of Barak there's not a whole lot you see in that I know and it, it's encouraging to me because exactly. it's good to see a lot of miserable failures in this <laughs> that's <thing>. right <laughs> that's, that's the story of today <laughs> that's, right.
0: that's lots of room for me they it's get shoehorn right in there what John you hear what John Calvin calls us you won't like that but it's true yeah, what
2: do you say huh what John oh, he oh, he'll, he'll anyway. say a little bit.
0: I'll get to it here in just a sec, but you're right. Barack is mentioned in the Hall of faith Deborah's not.
2: That's right. Deborah's not mentioned. That's because the male patriarchy
0: is. Yeah. yeah well, Rahab's right those mentioned. a, a candidate.
2: I've had to lock yeah. up
0: all the fakes into the. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right with my gun to it. And they're all locked up. Right. That's true. You know, leave why? it. Wow. Leave, leave that hammer aside. Okay. Yeah, Uh-oh. That, so, so Barak is mentioned because... Why? Because he had simple faith. Mm. Just because. Because that's what I see in the Lord, too. Every small act Amen. is approved of by God. He doesn't mock you and insult you mm. and make fun of you. Barak was scared, and but he didn't have faith. He said to Deborah, You don't go. Yeah. He had faith in what God was doing. No matter if it was Deborah or whoever, Amen. he did have faith. And he's mentioned... And again, God has no respect to a person. So maybe these aren't the greatest examples of courage and dignity. But I see one thing in God, if he'll allow me to say this. I see in scripture, God is for the underdog. I don't know why. Because he's not an underdog. But I know his son. And his son is very humble. And his Mm. son says, I'm lowly and meek. He said to Israel, I didn't choose you because you were powerful. I chose you because you were nothing. So he might show his glory through them. So he's for the underdog, the gentle and the lowly. Calvin said on the flaws in his commentary of Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, he said this, and I, I thought this was funny. In every saint, there is always to be found something reprehensible.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How you like that? You're reprehensible. But, Amen. dot, 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 but nevertheless, Calvin continues, although faith may be imperfect and incomplete, It does not cease to be approved by God. Any act of faith, although we are sometimes reprehensible. No respect of persons. One thing Jesus said, I see an archetype doctrine or a teaching in the scripture, is God despises the arrogant. Read it from the beginning to end. He hates the proud and the bold and the wicked. And what does Jesus say? Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. Cause this is God. This is his way and what he loves. Samson. Why was Samson found to be in the hall of faith? What did he do? We know what he did wrong, yeah. right? And, and that goes on and on. Why is he there? What did he do in faith? Well, his Mark? last act
1: was to cry out to God and say, Give me the strength, Lord, to carry out your will. And he and killed all those
0: people. Amen. So he did. He did have faith in certain acts. Anything else?
1: Yeah. Susie? He asked for wisdom.
0: Okay, where, where was that? I mean, if you explain it. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: but I mean, <laughs>
0: he certainly was a wise man. We, we did a study on Samson, and people think he's this big, goofy, big, hulky guy. So, Samson was a very intelligent, bright man. If you read about his, his, will, his riddles and, and the way he commandeered people, he's a very highly intelligent yeah. man. But one thing I saw in how was he commended for his faith is because he hated the enemies of God. He hated the Philistines. I know that sounds terrible to say in our culture right now. But he hated those who hated God. David said that. God said to Abraham, I will curse them that curse you and bless them that bless you. There's a distinction between the people of God and the world. And I don't say that arrogantly. I say it just truthfully. God separates mm. his people from not those who are not his people. Were you going to say, Mark, something?
1: Uh, somewhere i would heard, and I'm not sure this is really true, but uh, typically the picture of Samson is this, like you said, a hulking guy, kind of like a Brian. And uh, the fact, well, what they had said was that his physical appearance really wasn't imposing. It was more like a superhuman power that God hmm. uh, gave over to him when he, you know, tore the gates down and uh, the right. boxes and so forth, mm-hmm. um, so it, it, that, our picture of Samson, I think, is a little distorted. Right by the cartoons, yeah. Uh, workout schedule, and right? Old, old and and even
0: in the cartoons, a man who was as big as him in a cartoon still couldn't carry that gate for miles up mm-hmm. that hill. That gate was just huge, way beyond human ability to do it. Any, no matter how big he was, as a man. So he did act in faith. He, he um, Again, he, he despised the enemies of God, and he did, he did understand that his power came from God. Remember, although it was his, his hair, he was telling her that he said it was from God. He knew that it was. So he had a childlike faith even still. Jephthah, you remember him. This guy, how did he make the hall of faith? Jephthah. He's the one that said, whatever comes out of the door first, I'm going to kill it. And it was his daughter. He's in the hall of faith. How? What faith did he have? Anybody? Why is he recognized? What doesn't, doesn't make sense? <laughs> He's a man of his word. He's a man of his <laughs> word. Well, before that. God Right, he was a great warrior. Uh, he was a, speaking of harlots. He was his mother was a prostitute, and uh, his brothers said, "Then you're not going to have any inheritance with us. Go away." He went away. He becomes a great uh, mercenary, powerful leader, soldier of fortune. God's with him, and uh, then the men that they're about to be attacked by the Ammonites come back and say, "Please lead us." And he says, "Now you want me to lead you?" And he did. And it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, the Holy Spirit. And he, he routed the army the armies of the Ammonites. He was one of those the ones that routed the foreign army. So what was it about Jephthah that he's out Because he was a man of faith. He still obeyed God. You almost have to search for it to find it. But it's there. He still worked for our faith isn't just on what you and I do on our own, it's what you're doing for God for his sake that you're doing, he may you may be doing his will, you're not even aware of it. But because you have a willing spirit and an obedient heart, even if it's a childlike step, you're still doing God's work for him. And he acknowledges that. That's the amazing thing about God. Although he's doing it all and doesn't need us, per se, he wants his people to be part of his plan. So Jephthah was still used by God. Might not have been the godliest guy He was used by God, even in his foolishness. So passing to from Judges, of course, you know about David. We know about Samuel. He was the beginning of the prophets. Uh, In the end of Judges, it says through faith, in verse 33, subdued kingdoms, obtained promises, shut lions' mouths. We know that could be referring to uh, Samson, David, and even Daniel, although he's not mentioned. This is probably referring to Daniel in the lion's den. And verse 34 they quenched the power of fire, escaped the sword's edge, made powerful from weakness, became stronger and more, put to flight foreign armies. Um, Paul talks about being made uh, weak so that god's strength could be shown in him you remember that Mm -hmm. god said i'll I'll make my strength shown through your weakness and gideon was a weak man at first yet the lord funny says to uh, the angel lord says mighty man of valor Mm. and and gideon came up from behind the rock and said who (laughs) (laughs) me you must be talking like Moses. I, I, Moses said, I stutter. I stutter. I used to stutter as a young a young boy, and it's a difficult thing. And Moses maybe did have that where he stuttered. And so he felt unqualified. But it was God behind Moses who, who was the power uh, behind his weakness. Uh, David said himself that, that he experienced weaknesses. He was a very sensitive heart, and yet he was a great uh, warrior, man of God. It's possible that the writer here in Hebrews is, is taking examples in his mind out of the what they call the intertestamental period of between Malachi and John the Baptist, the silent years we say, the silent four hundred years, where there was a lot of history happening. In the Septuagint the Apocrypha is, is in the Septuagint and the, book, the books of Maccabees are very uh, are in there as well. And they, many scholars say First Maccabees, although it's not scripture, is a very accurate historical book. It talks about revolts and rebellions and it was Israel, guerrilla warfare against the Romans and things like that. So this writer may be alluding to, and that's just just to hear you know, me saying that or a writer saying that. He may be thinking of two uh, people within this time frame. Okay. And the, and the cause. Would Go you, ahead.
2: Would you mention, please, what the apocrypha is and what the um,
0: uh, Septuagint are as well? Right. The, okay. So this if people know the Septuagint, the book, the written before the uh, in Greek, the Old Testament translated about. By they say seventy because they believe seventy scholars wrote this or interpreted or or translated it. Um, a book used by many of the early New Testament writers, too. The Greek Old Testament, so to speak. And in the Septuagint, though, there were other many books. The Apocrypha means hidden. Uh, books that were not accepted, uh, like some of these uh, in the Catholic Bibles. And the original King James actually had the Apocrypha in it. And these are books which are not accepted by us uh, as Christians, but by some other groups that claim to be of Christian denomination. Some are foolish. Some, some are, um, contain wisdom. But they're not accepted into our canon. And that's just a brief... Uh, but you can look that up, the Septuagint and, and the Apocrypha as well. We see now the cost of the faith. So we have the commonness of our faith. Now, the cost of our faith is that it says in, in verse 35a, but others were tortured, not accepting the release, in order they might obtain a better resurrection. The NIV says refused to be released. Um, They were tortured, and it's interesting that the actual language here tells us that the torture element, it gives us a hint, the word is drum, and there were drums of torture, if you read back, especially in in the Maccabean Times, too, um, and before that, men were put on, uh, it was either a rack, not sure, where they were laid out and turned by a wheel like drum, or they were put on a drum itself and over. The point, though, wasn't the drum, it was the getting beat to death that was the... The bad part, they were hit with these leather clubs or leather pieces of leather pouch with pieces of lead in them and they were just beaten to death by these uh, torturers. So they were put on the drum and it, they say that's, a, that's where the uh, idea of drum beat and the beat goes on and beating the drum because what the torturers would do is they would also have instruments where they would bang while the drum was being turned or while they were on the drum and the music would get the torturers hyped and kill and make sure they were killing <laughs> those being tortured. So next time I win, yeah, I yeah. Win, <laughs> So up when up? they <laughs> say you're beating the drum, that's what it really means. It means to, to kill people. Um, it says to not accept their release. Now, if you read that quickly, someone might say, wow, they're foolish. They should have accepted their release, right? They were let go. No, I want to stay in jail. No, that's not what they were saying. Not accept their release meant they could have been released, but only if they apostatized, only if they turned against and, and uh, re, uh, resigned from their faith. So, the, I think right here, too, the writer is trying to get the minds and the hearers of the, the, the scriptures, the Hebrew Christians, and he's reminding them to say to them, think of the cost it's going to uh, cost you to be a believer in Christ, not to turn back. That to be released from what you're believing in is to apostatize, is to turn back. Hebrews 10.33, uh, if I go back to just that, notice what he says. Uh, In Hebrews 10.32, remember those early days after you received the light, these are Hebrew Christians, when you stood your ground in great contest, the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult, persecution. Other times you stood by those, by the side, side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Because you knew you had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. So speaking of Hebrew writers is saying, look, it cost these people of faith here. It cost them. And they paid. And that's what we may have to do. The cost of faith. Mockings were common, it says in verse 36. (laughs) Back to Hebrews 11, verse 36. Others received the trial of mockings and scourgings, in addition bonds of prison. We don't often think of mocking... And and, um, and insults as suffering, but it really is. Pat,
2: do you think the Christian people should be careful about how we complain in the culture? You know, we, there's a lot in the news about Christians sort of fighting for their rights or you know going to court over their mm-hmm. rights and that kind of thing. And I'd just be interested in your thoughts on that. You know, mm-hmm. how how far should we push back? How much of that? No, wow, is that's that, interesting. I mean, is that is that you know so? Yeah. When the Lord allows that, right? Um,
0: wow, that's very I good. I wonder, you know. Personally, do, I, I do struggle with that. A lot, yeah, I, I struggle with that. I'm afraid mm. to say, as I get older, my my temptation is to say, you know what? I, I, I'm not going to cast my pearls before swine. I'm not going to take dogs by the ears. Mm. And if there's a chance they're going to listen to me. Mm. Sometimes though, people still need to be rebuked and told the truth. Mm-hmm. I myself, I'm afraid to say, I'm kind of ne- negative in my older age. I'm like, I don't. It's not going to make much difference to, to what I say to them. At least from what I've experienced in my life. So I myself might not take such so much actions. But I believe there's many called to do that, mm-hmm. and God bless them if they feel led, and the, or they're a younger believer. I remember being very strong for my faith and beliefs as i was very young and i'm not saying that was wrong i'm just saying that um, that's a time i went through as well so that's a difficult question but if the time came and i really felt the lord leading me to do that i would so I think in
2: principle christians can sort of push back and say you're mistreating
0: us because we're christian
2: and you shouldn't do that
0: uh, well, I think in Scripture we have a right to speak. Even Paul, you know, a lot of people questioned him when he said uh, he appealed to Rome. You know, mm-hmm. he was using the governmental mm-hmm. system. He was using the worldly secular mm-hmm. system uh, to get his message across. I understand
3: Pat's question right. It um, seems to me that we should anticipate persecution. Yes, yes. And when we are wrongfully <coughs> dealt with, we don't necessarily take right. an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth perspective right. or necessarily yeah. go to court to for uh,
0: mm-hmm.
3: uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um,
0: Restitution? or uh,
3: yep. uh, Affirmation. Uh, for, to, to be one of those groups that well, we, we demand our rights. Right, right. We exactly. Should, we should have right. high expectations right. that because we're Jesus followers, we're not going to be in the majority. Right. Mm-hmm. That's Not that we're looking to be persecuted or we're looking to be taken to court, but it shouldn't surprise us either exactly. that these things are going to happen. And why wouldn't it? They're of the world. They speak of the world. Yes. The world hears them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. Amen. So there is this great divide between us and yeah. common society, exactly. mm-hmm. um, and we're on the outs. Amen. He I'm with you, man. And that
0: passage you just said, I wrote it down to my son, my wife's down in Alabama, seeing my son Jared and the little granddaughters, and he's going through a divorce which he doesn't want. Mm. She, she's abandoned him, but mm. they play, they're play. they supposed to be Christian. I mean, playing like they're fine. There's no biblical reason for her to do this. She's been excommunicated out of her church. Um, the pastor that they were, the father was the associate pastor. He has resigned from his ministry and they still... Uh, are going around happy as clams and not a worry in the world. So my son is very discouraged, Jared, my oldest son, because he's like, what's going They have no conscience. They have no... And I told Denise, I said, well, a passage that really got me again this week, I've read it many times before, but it, it like slapped me in the face is Peter saying, why are you so astonished when these fiery trials come to you as though something strange were happening to you? I love that passage because mm-hmm. what it's telling us is to say, "This is what you should." And I'm I'm terrible for this. I always expect someone to do the right thing,
1: <laughs> and they don't.
0: But do I? See, and that's what the Lord keeps showing me, is and you, and you. And I'm like, yes, that's right. I have to have compassion. Well, isn't that what Jesus showed us? The one who had no sin, but still was compassionate. So what a bar he sets. For us, but mm-hmm. you're right, you're right, Gary. The suffering and the insults, and, and that's why I say God allows us to under to, the freedom uh, to accept His grace. That when we're insulted, Jesus said, "Blessed are you, happy are you, when you're insulted for My name." Now that doesn't mean put to death necessarily, but even insulting hurts. Mm-hmm. It's very, it, it hurts you. I remember one time I was I was an associate uh, minister and I had my suit on, and this is years ago when I appreciate guys wear suits and uh, I was coming out of a nursing home just saw this very old woman who's on death's door very emotional huge waiting room and as I had my Bible I walked I'm trying to get out the door I was late for something and this guy stopped he goes hey (laughs) and I looked at him yes he goes how can you do that I said do what I mean the whole waiting room tell people all this stuff and lies and tell them all this crap This garbage. I was like shocked, and the problem is I had to get out the door. I just kind of looked, I stared, I looked like the scripture. I looked directly at him, and I walked
2: away like that.
0: You know, I was gonna throw my pearls before swine at that minute. What an evil insult to say, like I'm a fool, like I'm an idiot. My whole life, I should, I should have sat down and said, you know what, you're right. I'll just, I'll just forget this. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that have been hilarious? Yes. <laughs> the atheist is just insulting me. This was a church? No, this was at a nursing home. Oh, nursing? But I was visiting a lady that was in our church. And as I was coming out, he just stopped me and had to let me know in front of everybody what a fool I was. But the Lord understands it, that we suffer. Jesus said, cast out your name as evil. They would, he said, happy are you. You know, it doesn't always feel happy. But what he's saying is, blessed are you, for so they treated what? Who? His the prophets master. before you. Mm-hmm. So, and Jesus said, a servant is not above his master. Mm-hmm. If they did this to me, they'll do it to you. And I'm still surprised when it happens. Look
1: what they did to
0: Jesus. Exactly. Look what they did to Jesus. You're right. And he said, we're not above it. And yet still I get bewildered. Like Peter says, why are you bewildered? Mm-hmm. Why? You know, it's just will it ever get through. It says here in verse 37 and 8, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, tempted, died by murder, they went around sheepskins the goatskins, means not that it was a uniform, but they were poor, it says, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. The world was not worthy. I want to see that for a second in, a, in just a minute. But sawn in two, that's an interesting one. The scripture doesn't say, doesn't tell us literally who or was someone's son in two, but it's, we're pretty sure we know who that is. Anybody know?
1: Isaiah.
0: Isaiah, the prophet, was son and half. It's pretty sure that it was him. And it's written about, um, there's actually a book during the reign of Manasseh, it's called The Ascension of Isaiah, and it's in the, the first part is called The Martyrdom of Isaiah, written of Jewish origin about 1st century A.D. And the prophet is described in the presence of King Hezekiah and his son Manasseh, and Isaiah is, is predicting his death. And it says here, and this is, uh, this is what really rubs the salt in the wound. It says, the prediction came true. It says, and he sawed him asunder with a wood saw. So not only is he getting sawed in the hat, but a wood saw. And when Isaiah was being sawn asunder, uh, Belkerah stood up accusing him, and all the false prophets stood up laughing and rejoicing because of Isaiah. Justin Martyr, second-century Christian writer, said, "If your teachers, Jewish teachers, had understood these prophecies, they would most assuredly have expunged them from the text. But all these words describing the death of Isaiah, whom you Jews sawed in half, were fulfilled with a wooden saw. So Isaiah was not only—and again, this is just writings—but possibly it was Isaiah's a lot of testimony, a lot of writing about it. And it's written here in the Hebrews that someone was saw in half or sawn asunder." Mm-hmm. Uh, and they mocked him at the same time that he was being sawn in half. So, the temptation to apostatize is always at the door, or to uh, reject the Lord, like Peter did when he denied the Lord uh, three times. And they died in, in many different ways, uh, murdering and, and just being put to death by the by the sword as well. Um, let me go back here for a sec. It's
2: still Sorry. going on today.
0: Yeah, well, that's true. That's true, because we in America don't often see that. Um, so we ask ourselves, why did God allow this to happen? Why does God allow such things to happen to his people, right? When he could easily stop it. When he could easily, uh, when, when Herod was alive and the horrible things he did to destroy the babies. Uh, that were born under two years old. Why did God not seem to stop these things? So the Bible tells us a few reasons why. It says, and Gary was just saying about the separation and God seeing the world different from us. It tells us here in verse 38, the world was not worthy. Now, although what this means is it actually has a balanced idea of, of balancing and scales... And it's saying that although the world rejected these men and women of faith as being unworthy or worthless, they were the ones who were judged by God to be worth less. And it goes even further than that. Some writers said that, uh, well, Paul said not many were wise and noble. You remember that? Not many were powerful. And yet Paul was poor, yet making many rich. But... To all, all outward appearances, these people seemed insignificant and unimportant, but to God... This is what one writer said. I thought it was good. He said, To God, they were worth more than the whole world. <laughs> to God, His people... And this would go over well <laughs> with our world. But His people are worth more than the whole world. And this explains, doesn't it? The whole concept of, of hell and eternal life. This explains... A lot of things, and it's to be His child, even and to be worth more than the whole world. And then that begs the question: Who am I then? But I'm no better than this one who hates Him. So how does that jive? How am I righteous? Like in the Scripture, it always says the righteous and the wicked. And I always say, so who's who's the righteous and who's who He chooses, who He sets apart, who He gives faith, who He sets aside. He or she who then turns to Christ by faith is the righteous. Those who reject him. It says about Rahab, it was interesting. She did not perish with those who were disobedient. Disobedient, these people were Canaanites. How could they be disobedient to God? They were, they were Canaanites because they still knew of God. They heard about God's acts. They heard about his beating these enemies and nations. So Rahab had faith. He said, I believe that. The others were disobedient, didn't care. That's what our world is made up out of, sadly. Two roads. Many go to the broad road, the easy way, the least destruction, and many find it. But the narrow way, the one that God provides for his people is the one which enters into life. Someone had their hand? up, <coughs> okay. Gary? I
3: don't know, I might if you said anything. Can you address just a couple of verses back above that they didn't accept Deliverance that they might obtain right. a better resurrection. Right, right. Did you comment on that? I don't know if I
0: missed that, it or. That probably that'll come at the last verse, maybe. But uh, they wouldn't they wouldn't accept release because to them it would meant apostatizing and reneging on what they said they believed. So they wouldn't do it. They accepted the punishment because of the future, and that's what verse forty is going to talk about, though. Maybe I can do... Oh,
3: is that how you're going to tie yes. Is that a resurrection? Yes, right. Okay. This, in, the, in the end, Mark... I'll wait. I'll wait. Thank you, though. <laughs> Remember that.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> we were, were describing earlier how, you know, why were these people subjected to all these uh, mm-hmm. mistreatments? Right. And it just occurs to me that, you know, when, when God's final judgment is made known to everyone, <laughs> there <laughs> won't be anybody in hell who can protect and say, some I'm just right here.
2: Right. They're
1: all going to right. agree, everyone's going to right. agree with their final right. destination, even if they're in hell. Yep. They, they, they won't be able to stay, I, I don't deserve
0: it. Right. And, and the whole world is guilty. In other words, it doesn't mean that every single person on the planet Earth has to be witnessed to by a missionary with Romans Road or with the Gospel of John, and then only and then are they going to be in hell because they rejected Christ. The world is guilty already. Right. Yeah. John 3 says that. They're yep. already perishing. Mm-hmm. There's no pearly gate to get to and, and wonder. We were perishing. That, that's what's hard to accept for me as a believer. Paul, The scripture says, we were, chil- we were by nature children of wrath. I was born a child of wrath. Now I was elect, but I was a child of wrath until I was born again by Christ, till I was saved by the, through faith in the Lord. Mark.
1: Uh, just me
0: of yes, exactly. That's right. Sure, God. General God. Revelation. It's there. It's 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 rejection of God. It's not seeking Him. Um, Paul Paul said that in Acts. Or it's kind of strange. He says uh, God used to put up with this. He says, but now He commands all men everywhere to repent. Mm-hmm. He commanded whether they do or not. Tony,
1: when we think of Jacob and Esau, when did he, when was Jacob chosen and Esau was right?
0: And and who was really they were the
1: born before either had done anything right or wrong?
0: Yeah, and whose life was astoundingly, wonderfully better or worse than the next? Good.
1: Uh, does this text and other texts uh, that regularly refer to suffering with Christ as part of our calling? Yes. Um, make the prosperity gospel a false gospel.
0: Yes. Amen. That's a good point. This whole passage is. They'd be like this. I don't hear that part. That's not what I. In matter of fact, speaking of that child, I, I have a little note here. Though they had no settled homes, no mansions, um, Jesus even said, "The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head." He has. Not, he has. The foxes have holes or dens, and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And the heroes of the faith had no mansions. They cared for other things than their own comfort. Because they were seeking a city whose builder and maker is God. And that's what we are doing. That's why Jesus said to the disciples constantly, store up your treasures in heaven. Store it up there. Store it up, store it up, store it up. That's where I came from. I'm telling you the truth, he said. I am the bread come down from heaven. Store it up. I go prepare a place for you. I'm going back. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. Why do you build here? Why do you settle here? I'm not saying we can't. We don't pay our bills and live. We have to. And we work. And that's God's plan. But it's a fallen world, uh, definitely. We see then uh, the last portion is the outcome of our faith. So we saw the, the, the commonness of our faith, the cost of our faith, and now the outcome of our faith, verse 39 and 40. All these having been testified or commended, to their faith received not the promise God having provided something better for us that not without us should they be brought to completeness it's interesting how this unity of the Old Testament saint and the New Testament saint is everywhere in the scripture if we would just look for it Uh, these all that came before us this promise he says what is the promise what is that promise they didn't receive the promise what's the promise anybody know could could be a lot of things. It it probably refers to eternal life, most likely. They did not receive the promise. What else? What else did the Old Testament saints not receive that we received? Huh?
1: Christ.
0: Right. The, well, it, the, the, the fulfillment of the coming of Christ in his time, right? They didn't receive that promise. And yet, amazingly, isn't it funny how Jesus had a curious statement? He said... And this is why they wanted to kill Jesus, because he he claimed to be God. They said that Jesus said, "Abraham desired to see my day; he saw it and was glad." How did he see it and was glad? When did Abraham see the days of Jesus? Anybody know? When did Abraham see it? Jesus said he saw it, rejoiced, and was glad. He saw my day. Is it possible? Now, it could be by faith, right? We can say that. It's by faith he foresaw Christ. Okay, I get that. Is it possible Abraham saw Christ's day from heaven? Is it possible we're being watched from heaven right now? Yes. Right? We'll read on. (laughs) Not to scare you, but uh, just to remind you. uh, (coughs) They were hoping, as Gary said before, for a better... Resurrection. So what is the promise? The promise of the coming of Christ that they and us, the two, become the one. I think that's sad today that people in non-reformed circles tend to see Christian uh, believers as two ways. There's the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints, right? It, I was brought up kind of like that in Christianity. I was taught that. There's, there's the Old Testament, there's a big line there. And then there's the New Testament and we're over here with the New Testament people and the Old Testament saints are over here. But there's no such thing in the Scripture. That we're one. We're one church. We're one man. And the Scripture tells us that. It's so sad that today so many Christians see it as two distinct peoples. Two churches, if you would, even. But Hebrews chapter 12, and I won't take into next week somebody's study, whoever that is, but see the context now? therefore verse, chapter 12 verse 1 we are surrounded by such great cloud of witnesses that means that they were urging on like at a, like a, a, a coliseum or a spectator event they were cheering us on who are these people cheering us on we just read about them Barak and Isaiah and everybody everybody from the Old Testament time seeing us, watching us cheering us on Abraham maybe seeing the day of Christ I don't know but it tells us strange things in the scripture about being witnessed and seen. And if you go over to chapter 12, verse 18, he says, You've not come to a mountain that can be touched, at burning with fire to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast, he says. Uh, but he says in verse 23, 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, you've come to the thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God the judge of all men. The church of the firstborn, this holy mountain, the the city, the the new Jerusalem that exists now. This cloud of witnesses. The two, uh, Ephesians 2.14 tells us that. Um, I just wanted to share... It's talking about the Gentiles. remember being included? Mm -hmm. And it says here back, if you go see the one, this was Christ's plan. He says, um, I'm just going to make it. He says, but now in Christ, he's talking about the Gentiles who are outside of the covenants without hope, without God. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, Gentiles, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace who made the two one. The two what? the two peoples the two two, uh, old and new we could call it he has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing it in his flesh the law with its commandments regulations but listen his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two to bring to fulfillment this idea that we will be made one together when in heaven fully now in a way we're one already by this cloud of witnesses looking down on us, cheering us on, by Abraham seeing the day of Christ and, and loving it, we are already participating in this eternity in a sense of, of oneness. And he says uh, to make to make peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death this hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, Jews. For through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. See the unity that always was from the old to the new? There's a unity in Scripture. It's not broken up into pieces and hunks. It's one church, not two. One new man. And this promise that they wanted to, we were talking about, is the resurrection. That resurrection from the dead that they longed for then. And that we are accomplishing and seeing even coming into our lives now. Anybody want to add to that then? Before we, any questions or any comments, please do. Um, Good, Gary.
3: You know, when you think of these Old Testament <laughs> believers, didn't have uh, what we have. Another, mm-hmm. we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels. They didn't. You know they were willing to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It should be a far greater thing than our willingness to die, in the sense that. We have the example of Christ dying, risen from the dead, assurances of the New Testament that where I am, (laughs) there you shall be also. Mm -hmm. I mean, in some sense, we play down the faith of the Old Testament Mm. believers, but I think this just augments their faith in that they had, in comparison, little to go on in comparison to what? Amen. You you follow what I'm saying? Yep.
0: and And yet, at the same time, it can be said too that no matter what we see, we can always doubt peter Peter walked on water and he doubted right Peter saw people raised from the dead and he denied Christ, so no matter what we see, and that's what we can still doubt we're still in these bodies of flesh we're still in these they'll i always would I always used to wait for the time when I'd finally get there and be all set and no problem with my prayer life and love the Lord and sin maybe once in a while, you know, maybe. You know, when I was a young believer, I thought, I'm going to get there, right? And, you know, and I remember reading about John Wesley and the Holy Club. And I even, for a short period of time, I thought, is it possible to live sinlessly? You know, to live sinless, like old John Wesley thought you could do. You could get to some people preach, you can live sinless lives. Well, I'm afraid I am had trouble with that. I never did quite get to the stand. Why are you laughing at me one <laughs> day? There was a time I thought Gary George walked on water until I became an elderly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Okay. I'm right. talking about... You know, Unity of the faith here, brother. Unity. <laughs> right. make. Maybe, you know, the, the, the union together. The outcome of our faith. But, but you're right. I mean, even the scripture, Jesus said it poignantly when he was talking about the, the, you know, that story about the rich man and Lazarus. And he said, and he goes, oh, go tell my brothers if somebody came back from the dead, they're you No, they won't. No, they won't. Because I will come back from the dead and they won't believe. And then my disciples will be scattered themselves, even after three years of being with them every day. I was reading about uh, the manna. I, I guess I'd never noticed that the manna was there for 40 years every single day. And then just one day it just stopped. It just stops. And it was time to go and to cultivate their own land when they came to Canaan, to that, to that spot. And yet they doubted still every still had troubles doubting. Even though every day there was manna, and then on the Sabbath they would not, and they would to take double, and it was double, and it was always there. And how many times has God answered prayers? And that's just to kind of go back to the beginning, is prayer. And Elijah was a man like us. He was just like us. Now, I know he was different. I know he was specially called from God, and there was this, an anointing on him that maybe not to us per se, but it doesn't, the Scripture doesn't say that. It says he was a man just like you and me. And he prayed, he prayed prayers. And so I would encourage you this week, maybe we get so busy and our world is so set by ATMs and bills and checks and jobs and whatever that we forget that we're dependent on God in prayer. And to pray, and maybe it's a sign, and I'm not testing God, I'm not doing that. I I have asked God for signs, and he has given me signs. Sometimes these things didn't make sense until even later in my life and then I'd realized what he was trying to show me during that whole time. So it's okay to it says here that when they prayed they cried out to God. Did when you pray do you talk verbally to God? Not that you have to, but you ever get so passionate that you start talking out or in your car alone, have you actually cried out to God? There's nothing wrong with that. If anything it shows faith, it shows that you're trying to speak to the most high. Um, he understands he, 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 he knows our makeup he knows our frame that we are dust, so think of your prayer life this week especially, and maybe we 've been put to sleep some and I know I know even me you can get so busy in life with your jobs and, and things and families things going on and, and activities that we forget to pray and we 're lose that that actually damages faith okay you're right
2: thanks for that
0: I think also um, Prayers seem
2: somehow a little nebulous to us because we acknowledge at some deep level that God is so other than we are. Mm-hmm. That it's just almost hard to imagine conversing with such an incredible being. Amen. It just is so, uh, man, it's so intense. And that's how. It, so it, it just seems he's familiar to us, but at the same time, he is so unfamiliar to us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, imagine a, a being that's never had an impure thought and there's only love. Mm. I can't.
0: I, I... But if, I you, can't. if you think about it, though, only that kind of God or Father, Abba, Daddy, only only that could love us like Amen. he promises. Because if he was flawed, he couldn't love us like right. the way he promises. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and I'm, I'm like
0: everybody else. I am so ashamed when I have to go to God time after time after time asking for forgiveness like a broken record and I'm you're yeah, not going to forgive me this. <coughs> I'm too tired of this because his love is not like we've ever known mm-hmm. Seth? Um,
1: just this book the so ah. book on prayers the best I've ever read first one was doing it a Amen. Lot I need to learn about
0: yes, I heard about that book. Yeah, he, really he did really old. with Paul. <laughs> I think he taught Gamaliel. Like <laughs> <a kid, huh? laughs> All right, we'll close with a prayer then. And um, Randy, brother Randy, would you pray and lead us lead us to, to worship?